the behavior patterns, the customer base has changed. It's flashy now. Now you, you move in and you rent from your phone. Hello and welcome to Pillars of Wealth Creation, where we talk about creating financial success with a special focus on business and real estate. I'm your host, Todd Dexheimer. Now, let's get to it. Hello and welcome back to Pillars of Wealth Creation. I'm your host, Todd Dexheimer. With me excited to have Sergio Altamare. Sergio, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, man, Todd. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely excited to dive in. Sergio is the uh, CEO, co-founder of Hearthfire Holdings. And um, you know what? I'm just going to let you kind of give your background story. So why don't you tell a little bit uh, about, you know, what you're doing today, and then we'll kind of dive into your background a bit. Sure. So today we are a growing self-storage operator. Uh, We own and operate uh, 14 properties, uh, about 50 million in assets under management and building to scale it. We've pivoted from multifamily and been in self-storage now for uh, about four years. Cool. Cool. So tell, tell, let's, let's dive into that background then. So you were in multifamily, um, you know, dive, dive into a little bit of your journey. Yeah. So, so my background is actually working for the federal reserve in it. Uh, my degree back there from Drexel is in computing and security technology. I worked for the federal reserve for 22 years. Uh, I span all facets of self-storage with a concentration in everything from, project management, information security, and enterprise architecture. My journey and uh, really goes from being a big thinker and, and love to processes and systems and dissecting systems and then kind of piecing things together. Um, my I met my now wife in, in 2012, and prior to that, Prior to us joining our real estate and and passive and wealth journey together, um, I had a false start in in real estate in 2004 where I bought a duplex, wasn't zoned properly, and I ran into all kinds of headaches with that. Learned some lessons in there and kind of gave up on the the real estate. There wasn't the resources that we have right now, um, you know, to learn and get the education. It wasn't as as in tune with all the the books and everything or bigger pockets, uh, which kind of was really instrumental in my growth. So fast forward meeting my, my wife, who also uh, is a, she's a transplant from, from Los Angeles. Uh, she was a professional uh, music singer and she transferred to Philadelphia on a contract, got a job working at the Fed, ended up being a project manager there. So that's how we met uh, through her family, got introduced to, uh, real estate as a way to build wealth and and really uh, get some tax advantages and whatnot from the the day income. Uh, so fast forward, we started buying some properties together. She bought the first triplex. Uh, being that my background is in tech and systems, we started managing the properties ourselves. Uh, we got into syndication, got introduced to the concept not long after that. As we had access to more properties, I did all my own underwriting at that time. Corinne was all hands on deck with the operations, tenant management, leasing and all that and all the marketing and so on and so forth. So we started syndicating in about 2013 and we started building uh, you know, our real estate portfolio, started bringing investors, started with friends and family. And then we quickly 
you know, scaled that to about 50 properties or 50 doors and while still maintaining full-time day jobs. Fast forward 2016, it got to the be got to be too big to maintain the day jobs. Corinne quit uh, the day job and just ran the business. Um, I quit in 2017, which happened to also be the year that my daughter was born. So 2017 is really when we started focusing on building a company. 2018 is when we thought that there was going to be a market shift. Um, I wasn't finding any big apartment buildings. That's what we wanted to focus on, where the underwriting made sense. Um, so we looked at other asset classes. Knowing what I know about economic and market cycles, I expected a market downturn in 2018. Yeah. Uh, on said that one should have happened if there wasn't you know, interference uh, from the Fed. Anyway, we looked at other asset classes. We landed on self-storage. Uh, we communicated out to our investors that you know we were going to pivot and, and start focusing on self-storage, got our investors on board, made that transition, and then we started transitioning from it just being the two of us and then building out a company. And here we are right now in 2023. Uh, we're building a, got a rock star team right now and just really emphasis on on building to scale and we're going to see where the the rest of the journey takes us but it's all about wealth and sharing in that journey love it man lot lots to unpack here so i've got a, a lot of questions that popped up during that uh during that story right. so i lo love the journey uh really appreciate it uh, so man uh, where to start duplex that that first duplex you did i think what did you say 2004 was it yep. um yep you mentioned of course that there was some some issues because you can't you can't go unscathed there so you got to tell tell us a little bit what you learned what what happened you know what kind of issues did you have and you know yeah so, so the lesson there is due diligence and and really uh, not taking things for face value. So the property it was going to be a house hack. It was it was a single family home, a row home. If you're familiar with Philadelphia, that was converted into a duplex. It was converted by a friend of mine and his family, like way back in the '70s. So it was it was the way it was for a long time. And and when I bought it, I knew that it wasn't zoned as a duplex. But I didn't think it was a big deal because it hadn't been a big deal. And yeah. and what I quickly realized is change of ownership is when big oh, deals yeah. can and will happen. So, so the lesson there was I bought the property, thought that I could operate it as is. Turned out that a uh, person who lived two doors from the property worked for the local councilman and was opposed to it being a duplex. I was younger at the time. They thought that, hey, this young guy is going to come in. I don't know, maybe sell drugs or God knows do what out of this place. So I get a violation of a, a zoning notice. This was after I started to do work. I did all the work myself. There's a lot of cosmetic rehab. So over the course of the next year, I tried to get the zoning change for it to be approved. And it was a unwinnable battle. If you're familiar with uh, Philly or the politics there, it's just, it's not going to happen. So um, I, I learned my lesson there. I got really frustrated, really got jaded by the process. I thought I had was doing all the right things. It just wasn't going to work. So, uh, turned out that when I did ultimately sell the property, that it was still in the market boom at that time. So I did actually generate a profit off of it. Um, time value of money, not, I, I wouldn't have been a profit, 
But anyway, I got said, all right, that's enough of this. I had enough of the city. So I moved out of the city and kind of gave up on that real estate uh, journey at that time before I picked it back up when I met my wife. Got it. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I you know, I, there's that happens quite a bit, actually. That type of story happens quite a bit. And uh, often nothing happens, right? Often, like the city's not going to all of a sudden give you that letter, but they, there is that opportunity for them to do that. Like you said, with this ownership change, that's a lot of times when it happens. So just because if something's not right with the property, just because the city hasn't got, you know, yep. in touch with the current owner or has let it slide, doesn't mean they're going to let it slide with you. So you got to be aware of that if you got problems. And I've had people talk to me about almost that exact same scenario. Oh, this thing is it's being used as a duplex, but it's right. you know yeah. zoned as a single family. What do you think? And I think yeah. no freaking way. Yeah. Don't do it because exactly what happened to you could happen to anybody. Um, so and, yeah. it, and it does happen. And I, and I stand yeah, by what, you know, the, it, it's about doing the due diligence and, mm -hmm. and doing, doing things right. And, and the other big thing that I see, even I do some coaching and the other big thing I see is in, improper underwriting. And, you know, I was just, I mean, I'm part of GoBundance. If you're not familiar, I'm sure you're familiar with GoBundance, uh, but GoBundance national uh, network of, you know, higher net worth individuals, a community of a lot of real estate investors and, we're just talking about how many um, how many people that have worked under gurus lately are struggling now because of real estate deals they did, you know, buying yeah. multifamily deals and different deals that just yeah. won't pencil, but they use like a creative way of financing because they want to get the deal done. If it doesn't pencil with, you know, strong underwriting, it's not, you don't, you don't buy it. And I do some coaching with some people that just uh, try to take a shortcut. If you're underwriting a deal in 10 minutes, you haven't done the due diligence. And, right. and that was my, my lesson. I knew better, but I still went down that, down that path. Granted, I, you know, bought at the right price. So I didn't, I, I paid for the education, but it wasn't like I lost my shirt. Right. Yeah. The only underwriting you can do in 10 minutes isn't really underwriting. It's a uh, sniff yeah. test, basically. It. It's a, it. Hey, does this, does this deal even worth underwriting or not? That's yeah. the only 10 minute underwriting we'll ever do exactly. is to say, exactly. ah, let's throw this one in the garbage. It's not even worth yeah. looking into. So uh, the two, 2018, so 2000, um, this 2017, 2018, you started transitioning to self-story you said hey i can't find these multifamily properties that they yeah. just aren't working very well we're going to get get a recession uh obviously that didn't happen right we went yeah. 2019 uh, a lot of everybody thought okay the recession didn't happen it's going to happen now and i remember this clearly by the way the same same thing everybody was afraid of the recession in 2018 2019 everybody's going it's going to happen and it, yeah. we get into 2020 uh, and it's still same thing going to happen. And all of a sudden COVID did. And then yeah. of course the recession did happen, but it was kind of, yeah. you know, what was it? Was it a, re a recession because of COVID was a re who knows? It doesn't matter. But my point is, um, I guess why, why would you transition from multifamily? That's a pretty recession resistant, uh, asset to self-storage, which, you know, also is pretty recession resistant, but what, what was the reasoning for that? 
hey, I'm going to start buying some self-storage. And were you buying or are you building or both? Well, we're building now. Uh, we were buying at the time. And, mm-hmm. and what I what I saw, right? So I, I look, I'm a believer. You can't time markets, but you can time market cycles. And, and a 10-year market, a 10-year expansion, eight to 10-year expansion cycle is, is what's traditional. So and and it includes like even though there's nothing on the horizon, black swan events, right? So that's that's what that's what COVID was. 2018, we were we were approaching 10 years. I looked at my assets and I said the value of these things has gone up significant enough where I've got a lot of equity that I can generate the returns for my investors. That's my job, generate returns. My job is not to hold these things in perpetuity. Um, you know, if you're you understand compounding and compounding wealth, I'm just not a believer in hold this thing forever. Maybe you hold an asset class forever, and in different stages of life, you 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 shift into you know long term cash flow type of things. But at the time, my focus was generating the big returns. Right. Um, when I looked at when I was working with brokers and whatnot, looking at the bigger apartment communities. I saw what I considered a lot of stupid money out there. And there's still a lot of stupid money. And, and quite honestly, we're going to see this year a lot of folks that bought two years ago. You know, we were just talking, uh, you know, go abundance about people that bought stabilized properties with bridge loans. So I'm not chasing stupid money, right? It's going to, it's like playing that poker game with a bunch of guys that don't play fundamental poker and are going all in with, with every hand. Uh, that is, you may get away with it for a period of time, but that is not a being a disciplined investor. You look at the smartest investors in the world, whether it's um, Warren Buffett or you know, pick any number of guys that know how to not necessarily time the market perfectly, buying a stock on this day or that day, but timing cycles. So when I looked at it, and I still have no regrets because what I did at that time was, yes. I sold assets that had appreciated and I drove the the value I needed to in multifamily, but I also got into a new asset class that wasn't as overcrowded as even multifamily is far now. I mean, now it's just crazy. So I got into the asset class because I was driven towards where is all the money going. And now even, you know, I talked to my lenders, brokers, uh, self-storage is where people want to be because of the overcrowding. So, um, yeah, did I time it perfectly? Um, not necessarily, but I timed it really well because it was the exit out of multifamily and into self-storage. That was really what I was looking for. I wasn't necessarily looking to time a recession. I was looking to time a next leg up into an, an overall asset class. And I still stand by... There's a lot of multifamily deals that got bought, you know, three, four years ago that right now is when the chickens are coming home to roost because they poorly timed the acquisitions. They didn't pencil then and they don't pencil now. And now as the interest rates have gone up, you know, can't make debt payments and and that $50 million property that they bought two years ago is now worth about 40. That's a lot of money to lose. And I know this from just, you know, people that I follow in the brokerage space that are looking at these these properties coming to the table where they're looking to 
you know, restructure debt and they can't because they can't make the loan payments. So to me, and again, we were disciplined in, in our move. We were disciplined in exiting multifamily and disciplined in entering self-storage. And we've done, we've done really well. I don't have any uh, debt coming due. Uh, we don't have a whole lot of risk. So I look at it in, you know, more of a macro view. What, what type of debt kit do you get on a self-storage property? Because it's not the same, you know, it's not a Fannie Freddie type uh, agency loan, right? It's different debt. You can get agency loan. I mean, it's, it's, uh, yeah, you can get, you absolutely can get uh, agency debt. I mean, we're getting, most of our properties are fixed without any maturities coming due for the next three to four years that are low threes in, in interest rates. So it's actually a de more desirable asset class uh, now for lenders because self-storage isn't just real estate. There's a real estate component, but it's also a business and the business that we are in is uh, a service that has month-to-month -month contracts. We have a revenue management place. So it's a hybrid real estate kind of hotel you know, business model where we can throttle revenue based on demand, based on seasonality, no long-term contracts. So so that was what was attractive to me, not to mention I'm not dealing with housing. We're not subject to eviction moratoriums and, and rent control. Uh, so to me, from an overall asset class, um, it's got it's got a lot of characteristics that make it a it's not flashy. Like you don't get a class A. I mean, you have a class A self-storage facility that's really nice. Yeah, but there's no granite, stainless steel, that kind of thing. So, yeah, it's still still a, a pretty plain box in the end. Exactly, and lenders love it. Yeah, I mean, there and but the but the maintenance uh, is is much less. The the issues with the tenants are much less. I would imagine there's just less there's less moving parts to go wrong. Our expense ratios are about thirty five percent. Thirty five. Okay. That's yeah, interesting. Um, is is there a shelf life on self storage? As you look at self storage, look at it today, and kind of moving into the future. So one of one of the things that it, it makes sense to me, but I it, I don't I haven't really done the research. Is there's a lot of baby boomers that mm -hmm. have a lot of crap. Mm -hmm. And they put their crap in self storage, and when as those baby boomers, you know, die, uh, that crap is going to get you know sold or thrown away or whatever, and the younger generation doesn't just have that stuff. Is your tenant demographic the baby boomers, or is it oh. a lot of both? So, so behavior. So the one thing to think about is the utilization of self-storage goes up every year. Right now, we're about 11% of the population is utilizing self-storage as a service. 15 years ago, it was about 8 or 9%. So the utilization continues to climb. And the reason why it continues to climb is it's not just the baby boomers storing all their junk in there. You're also having younger generation that's moving into a smaller, flashier apartment they got no place to keep their toys. Maybe it's their kayak. Maybe it's their 
you know, seasonal stuff, mm-hmm. clothes, whatever. So now it's being utilized as a service. COVID was, was fantastic for us because now you have people that needed to create an office in their house. Well, how do you do that? You got to move a bedroom into storage. So the utilization um, has changed. The behavior patterns, the customer base has changed. It's flashy now. Now you, you move in and you rent from your phone. You can go through our gate using Bluetooth technology. It opens it up. You know, there's the advancements in, in self-storage as a service is why you're seeing more of these beautiful brand new storage facilities. So it wasn't just, there was a drive up, you know, straight garage door, just hoard all your crap to now it's just being a necessary, it's an extension of your home. And when you're talking about renting a, you know, five by 10 or 10 by 10 unit for, uh, 150, 200 bucks a month, that sure beats paying another five, $600 a month for a bigger apartment, right? Even, even you go to some of these bigger apartment communities where to buy a, to, to, to rent storage at the apartment or, or a parking spot. Yeah. It's just insane. So, so the utilization of it has changed. Um, it's still a, a pretty much a three and five mile customer base, although we're able to pull from, you know, depending on the market, but the utilization rate continues to climb. And so as long as the utilization rate continues to go up and we haven't seen it, any signs of it slowing down and we are being more real, certainly us in our company, but the industry as a whole is also being more cognizant and looking at you know, innovation, the technology piece is, has come uh, very far over the last, you know, 10 years in being able to use consumer friendly mobile app technology. Uh, our facilities, 14 facilities, we've got three full time employees across the entire portfolio because mm-hmm. with technology, I can, you know, we don't need to interface with customers as well. So, so we we there there's always shifts in behavior patterns. Um, it is it is very uh, adaptive, uh, and that's you know and it's true for that you follow any new development or, or areas where there's a lot of apartments. We like renters. We like being in communities where there's 50, 60 percent renters because that means that there's a demand for storage. So we're kind of an, an ancillary. Uh, service that goes well with a lot of things, even businesses, you know, working, uh, having a small online business, where are you going to keep your inventory? Right. So there's a and lot when of, you're, when you're looking, cause you're saying, saying now you guys are developing right now, when you're looking to develop, is, is that something that is something you're looking for is what, where are the apartments around there? And yeah, there- but- there's a lot of really good data in in self storage, and you could thank the the REITs in part, but there's from an industry standpoint. So there, so we know first first and foremost, we look for supply and demand nationally. The the equilibrium is eight square foot per capita is what we look for. So that's that's where supply meets demand. If it's lower than eight. We know that there's positive demand, that we have tools and technology to be able to determine that. So we look for what is the population density in a one, three and five mile radius of any given location? What is the median household income? 
that the median household income say is like 50,000 or greater, we know that that income level is, is a, a ripe level for utilizing self-storage if the supply is below where demand is, then we've got a winner. Now, obviously we look at what are the other competition, who, what new developments are going into a market, right. but the data and, and what is the market rates of the other competition that's in there. So, so we have a really good data. Now the latest trend is the REITs historically have been in major MSAs, major metros, uh, because that's where the yield is they're moving out to the secondary tertiary markets. We are where they are, they're going uh, because they can't get the yields in the major metros. And then you've had things where people aren't living as much in New York City, Philly, whatever. There's crime, things that are happening that are pushing people out to the suburbs, remote work, things that are making you, uh, uh, making more desirable to be out of those areas. And, you know, we had, uh, I think it was public just bought a major uh, portfolio of assets in secondary markets in Indiana where where we have properties ourselves because the unmanned secondary tertiary market is an undersupplied market. So we've got a ton of growth. We've got a long runway. Yeah, interesting, interesting. Yeah, it um the, I mean, that all makes sense. And the supply and demand, obviously, if you're paying attention, if you know those metrics, uh, what you're looking for, it, it, it buying or building, you know, makes sense, especially if you know that market is growing. Um, population, like you said, 11% versus a couple of years ago, it was at, I think you said 8%. And um, you know, if you're, you're seeing that growth and that actually surprises me only 11% use self-storage. That's in my opinion, a pretty small number. Still, I could see that continuing well, to grow. Absolutely. Um, absolutely. I, I would have guessed if somebody would have said, Hey, how many people do you think use self-storage? I probably would have guessed like 30, 40%. Well, um, and, and it's, it's, there are markets where it's that high, sure, but we're talking about a national average. Nation when you go out, yeah, when you go out to Midwest, big land, you know, big space, that the utilization might, might be less than, you know, higher density. Uh, yeah, when area. people have five acres and they can just store their stuff right. in a pole, pole barn, they're not going to go get a self-storage. Exactly. Or they're... You know, and then if they live in the city, their their grandma or their parents probably have a pole yeah. barn they can store their stuff into. So yeah, that that definitely makes sense. Uh, you know, when you're when you're building these self storages, it's, it's fairly easy to to put one of these up. But is there a lot of regulations around you yeah. know where you can build and how you can do it? I mean, is that is that difficult to get approved? It's it's not easy, um, and and the reason for it is uh, just about every municipality has zoning ordinances that specifies where you can and can't build build self storage, and and from a local uh, revenue standpoint, it's far more desirable from a, a tax standpoint to have a brand new retail multifamily property than a self-storage property. So just because 
you can charge higher in property tax, yeah. that kind the of amount thing. of land that it takes up. It, yeah, it, exactly. That makes sense. Um, but it, you know, in terms of uh, construction costs, we we can build for all in soft, hard cost of 125 bucks a square foot. Now we, we drive that lower to, through some value engineering, uh, but your cost to build compared to other asset classes is, is much lower. Uh, it's a lot of, concrete if it's a multi-story building maybe some structural steel sheet metal uh, heating and air conditioning insulation so it's not overly complicated there are you building um are you building the heated uh the the kind of the box where you know people or you building is it like garages or is it the the you know the box that has multiple stories so so both so there's there's the standard drive up is, yeah. is what's called in the industry. That's when you're just pulling in front of your unit, rolling up the door and, and loading and unloading. That's not temperature or climate control. The multi-story buildings, that's where you're getting more of, and there's a misnomer about whether it's truly climate controlled versus temperature controlled. Temperature controlled in self-storage just means you're keeping the ambient temperature between say 55 and 85 degrees. So it's not overly hot or overly cold. It doesn't mean you're making it comfortable for somebody to live there because obviously people aren't living there. Yeah. You talk about climate control, you're also got to introduce the element of humidity. Mm-hmm. So multi-story indoor buildings that you see the beautiful ones, they're typically going to be more climate controlled uh, units. there, not the big, huge, uh, you know, you're not going to see as many 10 by 20, you know, and bigger units there. You'll see more of that when the the drive up facilities. And and again, depending on the location, and if you're in a lower density secondary market, you may see more drive up than you will just outside of a major metro because you're going to have to build up and not wide. Right. Right. So. Interesting. So and and you'll but you'll do both is. Yeah, yeah. I mean, whatever we're doing more just from in terms of yield, um, there's more yield in, 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 in a lot of cases, we're actually doing both on the same property. So we have some drive up and there's the ability to expand, but to get to the, the expansion, we got to go up, not wide. So, uh, you know, take, for example, we, we have an open project right now that we're, we're uh, raising for that is got existing drive up storage that we are expanding and adding a multi-story climate control. So it's really comes down to, I mean, the whole thing is, is just a game of yield. How do you get the most yield in terms of returns on a given property? And, and again, we talk about some market supply and demand. Some markets maybe just have a demand for drive-up storage versus some have uh, both or just strictly climate-controlled multi-story. Love it. Why buy or I build, I mean, versus buy you, you were, you started out buying now you're mostly building. It sounds like why, what was the reason for the transition? So self-storage uh, like every other asset classes is got a lot of capital flocking to it, right? That creates a situation where the existing storage facilities get priced higher and higher. Uh, brokers don't help by telling somebody, hey, I can get you top dollar. Again, we go back to the stupid money where somebody will buy a facility that is quote unquote value add, but they're buying the value because they're paying a lower cap rate and 
you know, just thinking that they can do some operational improvements. Hey, yeah, the, the existing rates are 30% below market. You see there's a lot of multifamily where they just pull some numbers out of their behinds and, and say that's where the value is at. When it comes to building, we talk about number one is the competency around building is not easy to execute. So we want to crowd out those that can't execute on those types of business plans and also um, compete with more higher quality assets that long-term generate bigger returns. So that's why if you look at the big money in real estate, they're in class A properties. They generally have a bigger return on equity, larger equity multiples. So that's what we're after driving value. Now, those hybrids where there's existing storage and you get the existing cash flow, but there's also the room to expand, providing the market supports it, you get the best, best of both worlds. So we're doing a lot of that. We have a lot of expansion plays. We'll continue to look for those opportunities where it makes sense, uh, but then the ground up as well. It really comes down to yield on cost, uh, overall you know, internal rate of return, cash flow supporting you know whatever debts that we need on them and and the returns for our investors yeah yeah definitely okay that's cool um all right let's switch gears what uh what's a favorite book you can recommend to our listeners so a, a book uh book that i think i mean i won't go to the rich dad poor dad think and grow rich i mean i'm sure that those are your your standard uh answers there uh uh you know, I'm a big believer in in you know mindset and energy just as much as applying the the technical parts of it. So uh, I big into meditation, and meditation has been a big big part of my life to be able to slow my mind down. Um, and where I'm going with that is uh, uh, faster than normal is is a book that I recommend for a lot of folks. It's it's been fantastic for me. It really just teaches us how our brain you know, operates and, and, and going into meditation, um, you know, your, your listeners can reach out. I got a, I wrote a paper on meditation with a ton of books there and then scaling up and built to sell, uh, built to sell was where I recognize that it's fantastic to build wealth through real estate. And, and that's what we're, we're doing and sharing in that wealth, but also, building a company so the company can deliver and 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 help scale as well so there's value in the company the operating company of my business of buying real estate and that's building that company for an exit on the company and then uh scaling up is really just shifting from being an owner operator technician type of thing to growing a company getting the right people that's that's the key part you need a an experienced team of elite players, that's how you generate the most. We only have so many hours in the day. Right. Um, you know, so many, you know, I've I've had so many different uh roles and and positions over the years where now it's kind of like just channeling all that energy to build uh, something fantastic. And then the last one is the Bible. Yeah, love love all those books. Um yeah, and, and that scaling part, it's so easy to to get wrapped up and to be the owner and uh, and be work the worker in the business, right? I think uh, yeah. we all all entrepreneurs kind of struggle with that a bit, and so Emith, Emith is a great one. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. another great one. Scaling up Emith, those are all good to kind of get your mind 
yeah. away from being that uh the just the the self-employed the worker uh That's grinder true. you know we and you hear it so often like today like you gotta grind you gotta grind it's like you you do but you also yeah. got to be smart about what you're doing you got to think about how Absolutely. you're building your business so I tell people you follow your passion and that's what you put your energy into yeah. your passion. and your passion can shift. I mean, I'm a technician. I love tech, but my passion is sharing and, and helping and, and doing that. And the way that I most effectively do that now is by building a team and company and business around sharing the journey of wealth. Like I hear, you know, a doctor, for example, doing, you know, maybe they love medicine and helping people and they go from that. I love real estate. And now they, they want to train change from being a doctor to getting into real estate where you're trading jobs. So, you know, that, that's not easy. That's not always the best course. I mean, yes, you want to be an investor. You also want to generate returns, but I'll challenge most individual independent investors that they're not going to generate the returns. I can even investing with me as a passive because this is what I do. I got a team that's dedicated to, I got resources, I ton of salary. Unless you're going to do that, you're just giving yourself another job. Yeah. I, I love that you brought that up. I mean, I've been pounding that for, for quite some time, but it's, it's true. I mean, and I hear like, Oh, I'll just do it myself. And it's, that's fine. Like I got no problem with that. People, people definitely need to do it themselves. That's what they need to do. But they don't understand how they can make as good returns investing passively with someone like you, someone like me. Well, because we have the teams, we have the systems we've done, we've done it. We've got, we know how to underwrite. We know what to look for. We know the, the issues that are not all the issues, but we know some of the issues that are going to come up and how to respond to them. And if you're buying your own duplex, and it's your first deal or even your fifth deal. I mean, you're going to make a ton of mistakes and you don't have those systems, the processes, the teams in place to. Yeah. Your own way. Well, and it's about, it's about, we get, there's only a finite amount of time that we get to spend on this planet. And you're either going to learn from, and, and I'm a big believer is learn from my own mistakes, but learn from others mistakes as well. Yeah. And I've been doing this for, I've been a real estate investor for 20 years and you take any profession, right? And what's what's the that's they say ten thousand hours is when you could be considered an expert in in anything. If you think that you're going to go out and buy a duplex now or triplex or whatever, and in two or three years be where I'm at easily, uh, you're going to learn that the hard way because you can't erase the twenty years. So. You know, we talk about what you would do differently or change. Um, I would have aligned myself with a mentor much earlier instead of learning it all on my own. Or I would have just went to maybe being a straight passive investor at that time. I was making a fantastic income. I mean, I, I ultimately, I enjoy building the company, at, which is based in real estate investing. It's not the real estate investing. So that's, 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 it's a learning curve, man. It's, you got to shorten that as much as possible. And you're only going to get so much by listening to bigger pockets or, or reading yeah. a book. Um, yeah. It's, it's a lot of work, man. If you're young, um, yeah, go for it. If you're not, and unless you want another career, you can only scale yourself 
so much before you exhaust what you can do on your own. So the whole, you know, the, the uh, who, not how is another fantastic book. Yeah. You know, that's the only way scale yourself, focus on processes and systems, and then, you know, do what you enjoy and follow your passion. Yeah. Love it. Great advice. Um, all right. Last question. What are your three pillars of wealth creation? My three pillars of wealth creation. Uh, so right now is the way that we've built um, our own family wealth and, and legacy wealth and continue to focus in on that was started with uh, my day job and and investing that day job income into what was a company and I didn't know it at the time. It was real estate. So focusing on your your cash flow, investing that cash flow into yourself, assets or business, and you could argue whether the assets and business are the same. Uh, uh, disciplined, responsible use of leverage, right? And leverage can also be anything from whole life insurance to equity in your house, whatever, responsible use of leverage, and then investing in things that scale. And to me, that's that's taking a business that is generating a million dollars a year, maybe worth 3x, you know, EBITDA, if that same business is generating $5 million a year, maybe it's trading at five or 10 X. If it's generating $10 million a year is at 10 X. So understanding compounding and scale is huge. And that's, you follow, don't follow what the next guy in your space is doing. Follow what the elite is doing. You know, if I want to learn how to be a great quarterback, I'm not looking at the guy at the next, high school over, I'm looking at Tom Brady. What is he doing? What do I do to be there? For us, for me, it's who who are the, the, the legendary business leaders? Who are the legendary investors? What are their practices? What are they doing? That's who I want to emulate. And it's all, and they all talk about the same thing. Yeah. It's, it's that, that's a great point that you just last made there. I mean, a lot of, a lot of good stuff that we can unpack, but um, that's the last part. Like if, if you want to become the best, you have to follow what the elite are doing, not the guy that yeah. you're seeing on social media that just bought, you know, yeah. whatever, a hundred units or whatever yeah. it is. And, and they maybe are a little bit above you and you're like, Oh, I want to get there. So what is that guy doing? No, no, no. Forget that person. Forget them. Like that's, that's not the elite right? They're where you're at. Maybe a slight little bit over, but you got to follow the best of the best. Exactly. Exactly. I, and, and I tell people all the time, right? Go to any major city, find the most beautiful building that you can see, right? The, the glass and you go in and it's, it's gorgeous. And then try and find out who owns that. Chances are you can't. And the reason why you can't is because the people that do own those types of assets or the groups that own those types of assets aren't on social media talking about how they bought this, that, and the other thing. That's where you got to find this true wealth. And we're talking about wealth is not flashy. The, the, the wealthiest people, families through history are people you never heard of. And you never heard of them because they're, they're focused on doing what they have to do best in order to 
generate their wealth and protect their wealth. You don't want to be exposed. Like I, 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 I had no interest in being famous. Um, if I'm famous, I'm a target. If I'm not, I can support and make the greatest amount of impact. So we want to build our company. We want to build our what we do based on building fantastic team and cause, uh, generating responsibly fantastic returns for our investors, our customers, generating great service to people that utilize our service, and then sharing in in that wealth journey, you know, collectively. And you don't need you don't need a, a to be out there and signing autographs to do that. <laughs> Love it. Love it. Well, Sergio, look, this is, this has been fantastic. Really appreciate uh, diving in here to some of the self storage and then uh, you know, everything else. It's been, it's been a lot of fun. I appreciate it. And uh, how can our listeners get in touch with you? Learn more about what you got going on. Yeah. So a couple of ways. So you can always find me on LinkedIn, Sergio Altamari, one at Hearthfire Holdings. Uh, invest with Sergio is kind of the shortcut to our uh, website. Sign up for our mailing list. Uh, you'll get access to our stuff. We're not like spammy. We just provide value and content and, and fantastic investment uh, results. Uh, I'm also on, on Facebook. Um, you could find some of my work on Bigger Pockets on YouTube. I was on the Bigger Pockets podcast. So uh, yeah, I'd love to stay in touch. If you listened to this and you found it interesting, shoot me an email. Uh, I like not being famous. I don't get so many emails where I can't or won't respond. I love helping. <laughs> so uh, reach out. Cool. Awesome. Well, so, that's definitely a, a, a nice reason to not be famous. You can actually respond to your emails. Exactly. So <laughs> cool. Well, again, thanks a lot. Appreciate it. And you have a fantastic rest of the day. Thanks, Todd. Take care. Bye, everybody. Hey, thanks so much for listening. I appreciate you being a loyal listener. Say, I would love to have you go on to our Facebook page and subscribe, uh, give us a thumbs up, go on to iTunes or wherever you listen and give us a rating and review. Don't forget to subscribe. It's a rating and review just helps us push this out to more and more people and continue to grow our audience and hopefully positively affect a ton of people out there that really need this and, and want this. So uh, the other thing I've got for you is a free ebook on my website. So go on to VentureDProperties.com, VentureDProperties.com and download our free ebook on real estate and on syndication. And I've got some data points in there, some really good stuff for you. So I'd love to have you take a look at that. It's free. I'm not expecting anything from it. Uh, and, and also, look, if you want some help in multifamily, want some help learning, growing, getting your business off the ground, I would love to talk to you about what it would look like uh, to work with me potentially and see if that's a good fit. So you can go up to coachwithdex.com and check that out and uh, we can definitely have a, uh, a call. Thanks a lot for listening. You make it a fantastic rest of the day. I'll catch you on the next episode.